0: join me in prayer father we do thank you for your great love for us that you gave us your precious son who took our place we deserve the wrath of god but you in your greatness wisdom love and compassion and because of your justice and holiness you poured grace upon us and we thank you there is victory in your name for sure we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Take a good minute and greet those around you. Good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Cody, one of the pastors here. Just a few quick announcements. I don't know the dates. I just read in here. We, when we have families that have babies, births, it's awesome. We celebrate that. But we also have part of the women's ministry is collecting all of the supplies. We give them a basket, so there's the information there. Also, there's the OCC craft event coming up. I don't know when that is. There's the information. This is all in the bulletin, so if you want to grab that stuff... Great, write it down. And then next Saturday is the men's breakfast. That's what we have there. Hey, church. It is good to see you. This has been quite the week, is it, hasn't it, for our community and just for our church. What I want to do is just take a moment and just in the midst of all this tragic stuff that we have dealt with, I want you to know something. And this is something, I remember the first month I was here as your senior pastor, I mentioned how in history, in church history, there's certain things that the church have had to take time to in, you know, reinforce what Scripture teaches. For instance, in the first couple centuries, it was the deity of Jesus Christ. It was the importance of the, the Word of God. And then during the Reformation, by faith alone, grace alone, and through Christ alone. And, and I believe that in these next couple years, I said this eight years ago, we must believe and teach that no matter what happens, God is sovereign. He is in control. He is sovereign. So what I want to do is I just want to work through with you just a couple things to let you realize God has always been in control of all that's going on. Amen? Here's a list of God's sovereign hand in all that's been happening. About four years ago... I've been a police chaplain, as you know, with Rice Lake PD for about six years now. And four years ago, I've been building relationships in our county with the local uh, municipalities because a lot of the smaller agencies, they don't have a chaplain. It's not part of their, their protocol or EAP system. You know, just the way it's set up, they're just like, yeah, we can either figure that out. Or just it's, We're too small to have that. And it's like, that's fine. You know, I'll just be a part of that. So I've been able to, through God's grace, just build relationships. That's that's part of what I wanted to do was just build relationships and I've learned a lot from a lot of the the outstanding chaplains that we have in our state. There's some like like Archer here and others around the state that have come in. They have taught me much, just about the ministry of presence and building relationships. And those four years of, of getting to know people and our officers and deputies, and, and um, I would say 75% of their names are in my phone. They've got my number, not just for stuff that they need to call me on, but we hang out and we do stuff together. And I'm so grateful for our sheriff and police chiefs of every department that they just give me complete access. Like, you don't have to sign up and say, Cody's coming at 4 o'clock to, you know, 6 o'clock to be with you. They're like, just show up. Be with our officers. So I'm so grateful that God sovereignly has been working through that. About four months ago, this is great, is when I said, hey, Pastor Tony, because Pastor Tony's bright, Smarter than I in many areas. It's about four months ago. We don't know when it was, but I remember going, you're doing Easter service. I'll just do the intro and you do the service. And wasn't last Sunday wonderful? Just beautiful. Because God knew already, yeah, Pastor Cody can't be a part of that. I'm trying to think of what day we are here. I'll just use it in um t- on time. One and a half weeks before Last Saturday, I had scheduled with every chief and the sheriff individually to meet with them. All right, we're having a meeting. I'm the president of the law enforcement foundation of Barron County, so I meet with them also monthly as we go through stuff. So I've been doing that for years, so I know them very well. We're friends, but I said, all right, we're going to meet, and I've got a sheet for you. And I sent most of them beforehand. We're going to talk about, this is a week and a half before last Saturday. We're going to sit down and talk about line of duty death. We sat down and worked through this sheet saying, if this ever happens, God forbid, you know, maybe this is 10 years, if someone gets killed in line of duty, what is your department going to do? Who will secure the scene? What other chief will you need? As the administrator, you need to do this and this. And so that was so fresh in our minds that day. So everything just went as smooth as could be. Then during this whole process this week, I honestly did my best to with the the two different families saying, hey, I'll help you find a minister, a pastor in the area. Who are you connected with to do the funeral and all that? And so they went to their rooms and, and kind of worked through funeral stuff. Then they both came back to me and said, we want you. And I was like, my heart was like, no, I can't do this. But I knew I had to. And through the process, each family gets assigned a liaison, a law enforcement liaison to work with them. That's their primary job. They can let them know all the details of everything. It's just, and, and I remember one of the chiefs says, well, I got a retired guy, but I heard old retired guy, so I'm like, oh, great. I'm going to stuck with some old guy that's going to be like, oh, this is okay. I knew the other guy, Jeff, it's, it's going to be fun and hard, but I'm like, oh, an old guy. Okay, great. So last Sunday, first service, I came to the announcements. You know, I, we wept, we prayed, and then I took off to be with the officers down in Cameron. I'm sitting in the group, we're debriefing, and I look and I'm like, oh, Al Gabi's here. Great, he just retired as police chief in Turtle Lake. I'm like, oh, I'm glad he's here. Christian guy, this is great. And then I came back for second service, went back to them, and I'm like, Al's still here. And then I realized, he's the family liaison who I've known before, we've hugged each other. He's a Christian guy, and I'm like, that was a huge, one of the hugest blessings for me through this week. God sovereignly putting Al there. Then this leader team, the law enforcement death response team came, and I was able to connect with them. The last couple years, I have on my own time, most of the time, yeah, vacation time, just going to different conferences with chaplains, getting to know people so that way, you know, I could just know them. I'm, I'm, I'm the, the you know, nobody knows me. We're Rice Lake. Where's Rice Lake? Everyone would like, say, Where's Rice Lake? Because most of the chaplains are from down south. And just those connections, we've had many of the chaplains coming here the last couple of days. In fact, one of the chiefs said, You know, your local, not local. you know, your chaplains from around the state, they should just dress different. They just look like FBI agents walking around. <laughs> I was like, I guess we just look like bums or something. I don't know, up here but to have other chaplains support me and be there for me. I'm like just a little elementary kid learning from them, and it's been so helpful. And to you, thank you for your prayers. There is no way we could have done what we have done. Your prayers, and through that, God has sustained me. I, I, with all the connections in the county, I, I, meetings after, one day I thought, I'm gonna have two meetings only. It ended up being six meetings. I looked at my phone, I had a hundred unanswered texts. And I was like, the only way I can do this is if God sustains me and my church is praying for me. So I cannot thank you enough for your support in this your prayers, all of you that helped with yesterday's meal, feeding law enforcement, and we're going to use some of that. In two weeks, we're doing the the canine stuff. Seventy dogs from the Midwest are coming here to do training. Little did you know, we're filling up the Sunday school rooms with drugs, and they find it. They take it all away. Don't worry. (laughs) But what a great ministry. And then today, we're going to have Darren Cox preach. This is God. God knew way before, probably, oh yeah, not probably. He knew before we were born that this was going to happen. Never forget, in tragic moments, God is sovereign. He's in control. Look in the Old Testament. Most of the prayers begin with, oh, sovereign Lord. Then they lament and pray. So Darren, come up. I want to pray for you. Thank you for being available. We love you. So let's pray. Oh, sovereign Lord, you are so good to us. And I thank you that you minister through tears. You minister through love. I thank you that you brought so many of my friends, my chaplain friends from around the state, and most of them went home because they got to preach today. Be with them, anoint them. I pray you protect our law enforcement. Some tragic stuff happened yesterday, late last night in Minnesota. Just be with them. Be with our military personnel. We are thankful for the protectors of this land. Be with their spouses. And Lord, we are just your vessel. Use us in any way. We know, we believe, and let us walk in the reality that you are sovereign. And we thank you that you have Darren here to give us the word. So anoint him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Cody. I was telling Cody this morning that one of the things I was struggling with is how to start this service because I didn't want to come across as tone deaf to the reality that our our community is hurting, our church is hurting. And the hard part about grief is there's very little that a person can say or do that's going to make a difference. When you're working with people that are grieving, one of the best things you can do is just be present with them, just sit with them. Let your presence minister to them. So I was really tossing around in my mind of how I wanted to start because it's tough to make sense of, of tragedy, tough to make sense of death. And I came across a quote yesterday that said, the best way to understand pain and suffering is to view it through the beauty of Jesus and the cross. That quote is from Pastor Cody as he was leading the funeral services yesterday. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ not only makes sense of death, he's defeated death. And that's what we're here to worship today. I was reading in 2 Samuel this morning that when King David was grieving the death of his newborn son, so he changed his clothes, he's got up, and he went into the house of the Lord to worship. And that's my hope and prayer for you, that you would all find comfort in God's sovereignty and goodness as we worship him this morning. Now the first sermon that I ever gave was back in 2013 on this very stage. And time has never softened my affection for Maranatha Evangelical Free Church. And it's funny to me how life kinda comes full circle because as I look around, this place is just packed full of memories for me. I remember baptisms out at Silver Lake cubby awards, Valentine's Day banquet where somehow I ended up offending people. I had awards that we were giving out for Valentine's Day banquet. And I had the the newlywed award, which was for the couple that had been married the least amount of time. And then I had the nearly dead award for the couple that had been married the longest amount of time. And my wife said to me, I cannot believe you actually said that and gave that award. So, um, yeah, so stuck my foot in my mouth a few times, but Valentine's banquets, Easter plays, Christmas plays, the stage is is full of memories for me. One in particular is there was a riser that was set up over here, and the kids were singing, and my Cody, and I had to get permission from him because he's bigger than me now, but um, he was sitting on the front row probably three years of age, and He got nervous and his sister was behind him so he pulled her dress over his head and sang the song with with her dress covering him. And all three of my adult now children have grown in their faith in the Lord because of the faithful teaching of what you hear each and every week from the pulpit at Maranatha and with the pastoral staff here. She'll have to forgive me if I wax a bit nostalgic this morning but don't forgive me if I act excited because I get to preach the week after Easter. And you see, I myself was undone by the mercies of Jesus 30 years ago last week. And as the song goes, there's a river of gladness that pours from Emmanuel's veins. This sinner was plunged beneath the flood and I got saved. Since then I walk in forgiveness. All of my guilt was erased. The chains of the past are broken at last. I got saved. Oh, I got saved. I'm undone by the mercies of Jesus. I'm undone by the goodness of the Lord. He got a hold of my life and changed me. I got Jesus. How could I want more? And for me, preaching the week after Easter is what I call a softball toss. It's a hanging curve. It's an Ephus pitch for any of you soft baseball fans out there, but This is one of those sermons that very easily could preach itself because I can focus on three simple words. He is risen. And I might add that there's never been three more important words spoken in all of human history. And Tony and Michelle and their family last week laid out for us the physical bodily proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They shared some some things from ancient literature and antiquities and they also talked about how the lives of James and Paul were dramatically changed. They went from skeptics and persecutors to those who were willing to die for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now if I wanted to at this moment, I could grab a microphone and I could just stop the service and we could go up and down the aisles and talk about how Jesus Christ got a hold of your life and changed you from the inside out. How many of you are different because of Jesus Christ? Yeah, me too. How many of you have been so gripped by the gospel that you left your old way of life and never, ever looked back? Amen. That's the power of the gospel. And that's what we celebrate on Easter. That's what we celebrate as followers of Jesus each and every day. And when I think of the gospel, I think of God's character. And that that character being on full display and being demonstrated fully in the person of Christ. Now God made man to worship him and enjoy his company forever. God did not make man to die. He placed him in the garden and he blessed him with his very presence. And sometimes I like to imagine of what it would be like to walk in the garden, walk in the woods next to God Almighty. Be able to have a conversation with him face to face. But he told the man, be fruitful and multiply. Exercise dominion over the earth and make it your own. But he gave him one command. And to this one command, the man spit in God's face and said, not your will be done, my will be done. And he openly rebelled against God Almighty. And as a result of that, sin entered the world. And you and I have been guilty ever since. Now, God would have been justified to punish and condemn at that point, but this is where he chose to put his full character on display. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. You see, God's own arm brought us Jesus. Jesus. And on the sinless, spotless one, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. And God laid on him the iniquities of the world and judgment and the condemnation that was due me, that was due you, because my sins put him there. Your sins put him there. But death could not hold him and the grave could not keep him. And when Jesus was raised from the tomb and walked out, he came out with an invitation for you and I. It's an invitation of freedom for all who believe. Freedom from sin. Freedom from the curse of sin. Freedom from the fear of death. And freedom for a new way of life. That is the gospel message. And that's what we celebrate each and every Sunday, each and every day as followers of Jesus. And to that I say amen and amen. And today we're gonna look at the reality of the resurrection on a personal level, because quite frankly, Jesus' resurrection is transformational. Now, when I was a kid, my dad would bring home stacks of Outdoor Life magazines from work. There had to have been somebody that, you know, was accumulating the magazines over the years and he would bring them home, and my dad wasn't real big into hunting and fishing, but he knew I was, so I taught myself a lot through just Outdoor Life magazines. And one section in that magazine was called, It Happened to Me. Some of you are probably familiar with that section because they were stories about close encounters with sharks and bears and snakes and alligators and falling through thin ice. And these stories always just captivated my young mind. They grabbed my attention and captivated me. And Jesus Christ is the only figure in the history of mankind who grabs our attention who captivates us with an offer of redemption and then he transforms us. He transforms us. No one else can lay the claim that their life, death, and resurrection breaks the power of sin. Jesus can and he does. And we read this in Romans 6, which is gonna be our text for this morning. But I wanna give you a little background of why I chose this particular text. In 1996, I left Minnesota for Moody Bible Institute, and I didn't have any plan on going into ministry per se. I just wanted somebody to teach me more about the Bible. I had a hunger and a thirst to learn and understand, and one of the first classes that I took, they had us memorizing large portions of Scripture. Heather and I would walk through downtown Chicago with note cards memorizing Scripture, and a lot of what they had us memorize was the book of Romans. So we memorized Romans five, Romans six, Romans eight, and I got introduced to what it means to be justified, what it means to be dead to sin and alive to Christ. And I saw this invitation as so much deeper than just you know fire insurance, where I get saved and go to he- get to go to heaven. There was an offer of so much more. Because Romans was and is a written invitation to live out the reality of the resurrection. Now, I must admit, teaching on Romans is intimidating. It is a book that can sometimes feel like you're, you're taking a drink out of a fire hose. And I read that Pastor John Piper from uh, the Twin Cities area, when he preached through the book of Romans, it took him eight years 225 messages. I was joking with Pastor Cody. I said it kind of puts the one year you spent in Ephesians to shame. Eight years and 225 sermons to preach through the book of Romans. And that ought to give you how much an idea of how much meat is in the book. So our text for this morning is Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. But before we turn there, I want to summarize some things from the early chapters of Romans. Because the Apostle Paul is laying out our human condition that we are a people under wrath and we are without excuse for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God there is none righteous there is no one who understands no one who seeks after God and just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin so death spread to all because all have sinned but the free gift following many trespasses brings justification now Justification is a legal term. And theologian James Montgomery Boyce says this about it. This is the definition. He says, it's a forensic term that's borrowed from the law courts that means to declare righteous or innocent. Justification means to declare righteous or innocent. Now, the opposite would mean to condemn or to pronounce guilty. And justification occurs because God's wrath is satisfied in Christ and validated through the resurrection. And justification means that when God looks at me, he no longer sees my sin, he sees his son. That's justification. Now, justification addresses our status before God, but there's another word that I'm going to use here that I'll define a little bit later called sanctification because that addresses our state. Justification is our status before God, sanctification is our state as we live. In a fallen world, in a sinful world. And I read one commentary on Romans 6 that says Justification is the triumph over the power of sin, but it does not eliminate the presence of sin in my life. Now, you and I will never reach a sinless state until one of two things happen. One, we die. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The second one, and I'm really rooting for this in our day and age, is the rapture. Because that sounds really cool right about now. I'm ready to go. But until then, we're going to struggle with sin. In Galatians 2.20, which is a verse I'm sure many of you have memorized, it says, For I am crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live where? In the body, in the flesh. And as long as that's the case... Sin will be present. But how much power that sin has over me, to me, is based upon my understanding of the reality of the resurrection. So let's read Romans 6, 1 through 7. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into his death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in his death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin now in verse one here paul's addressing an argument that grace gives you a license to sin in chapter five of romans verse 20 says where sin increased grace abounded all the more i love that verse But some people were taking that to say that, you know what, we should sin so that grace can just continue to increase. And Paul's response is emphatic. He says, by no means. He says, may it never be. Perish the thought away with the notion. He is shooting that down very succinctly. And this emphatic response that the Apostle Paul gives is followed by a powerful rhetorical question. Now rhetorical questions are designed to get people to think, to think deeply about things. And when I was new in the field of mental health, my first job was an unmitigated disaster. Uh, Heather was a stay-at-home. We had one child, um, and in the first nine months that I worked for this particular place, I made $13,000. So do the math. We are living well below the poverty line, and I am really, really discouraged as a result of that. And on top of that, my boss was openly questioning whether or not I had stepped into the right field, questioning whether or not I had the, um, I guess, the goods to be able to, to, to handle this job. And part of what they require new therapists to do is you have to sit under a licensed therapist for two years, meeting once a week for supervision, for staffing, for case consultation, those types of things. So I'm sitting with this woman week after week. Her name was Wendy. She wasn't a believer. Um, but I'm pouring my heart out to her, telling her how, you know, discouraged I am over this whole process. And she says to me, do you have a degree? I said, well, yeah. Do you have a license? Yeah. Do people come and see you every week? Yeah. Well, then you're an expert in the field of mental health. I said, I don't feel like an expert. She said, I didn't ask you what you felt. I'm asking you what's true. And for two years straight, she pounded home that I was an expert in the field of mental health. And I remember those rhetorical questions just vividly. Do you have a license? Do you have a degree? Do you see people? Well, then you're an expert. And the Apostle Paul does the same thing here. He asks a question. We are those who have died to sin. How can you live in it any longer? Now, I'm going to explain in more detail what it means to be dead to sin here in a minute. But to live in it means that we're living life according to a particular plan or a particular um, script of of behavior. Now, if I live as a vegetarian, you guys are going to have certain behaviors that you expect me to follow, right? If I say I'm going to join a monastery and become a monk, again, you will have certain behaviors that you will expect me to follow, And living in sin is dwelling in it. It's rolling in it. It's a life that's characterized by it. And Paul says that since you're united with Christ in his death, how could you possibly make your life living in sin? And the short answer is that you shouldn't be. And then he goes on to explain why. Or don't you know? I can almost hear the Apostle Paul saying, duh, or don't you know? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now this baptism that's being referenced here is not the sacrament of baptism. It's not the ceremony of baptism. It's the identification with Christ. It's the unific- unity of With Jesus Christ. It's a connection with Christ because Christ's burial shows that he was indeed dead. We don't bury things that are alive. And baptism into his death means that our old way of life was put to death as well. Now, my old way of life was all about me what I could get, what made me happy, what brought me pleasure. What brought me joy? Death to the old way of life creates a new sense, a new set of wants. Because when you stop and think about it, one of the most fundamental aspects of human behavior is selfishness. If you don't believe me, find a two-year-old and take a toy away. What's going to happen? Or did your children ever say to you, that's not fair? You know, this over-entitled sense of that life needs to be fair and swore I'd never say this like I heard when I was a kid, but my response to my children is life ain't fair. Get over it. It hasn't changed any. It still probably doesn't help at all. But, but we get a new sense of wants because when Jesus Christ injects himself into our life, suddenly we're more interested in the needs of others than ourselves. We want to bring God glory instead of ourselves instead of self-gratification. We catch ourselves and we want to lie, when we want to cheat, when we want to steal, when we want to swear, not because we have to, but because we want to. We get a new set of wants. In order that just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now Jesus' resurrection from the dead satisfied the need for justice, And it created my ability for sanctification. Because to live a new life literally means to walk in newness of life. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too may walk in newness of life. We contrast this use of the word life with what Paul referenced earlier about how can you live, how can you make your life in sin any longer. In the commentary that I read on Romans by Whit he says this, the work of God at salvation and identifying a believer with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, thus separating him from sin's power and giving him a, quality of new, a new quality of life. This is the basis for the Holy Spirit's work continuing in sanctification. Now, sanctification means to be set apart. It means to be holy. Means to be purified. And a personal challenge that I have for us is how are you doing in that process of sanctification? Now, this question isn't to humiliate or shame, but it's to have you evaluate where are you at spiritually? What are the barriers that are keeping you from growing in Christ's likeness? Is it shame? Is it sin? Is it a lack of belief in the power of the finished work of the cross? Since sin no longer has power over me, guess what? I don't have to serve it. I don't have to serve it. Verse 5. For if we've been united with him in his death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now another translation that I, that I read says instead of if we've been united with him, it should say since. Since we've been united with him in his death. It is true that we've been united with him in his death and therefore it's also true that we will be re- united with him in his resurrection. Resurrection brings the newness of life that I talked about a minute ago. And as a result of this death and resurrection, the old man, the old sin nature was rendered powerless. Sin no longer has claim. It no longer has hold of me. Now this reference to slavery that Paul makes would be very culturally appropriate at that time because many people were indentured and in in slavery. And a slave is identified by its master. Interestingly enough, the definition of Lord is master. You and and I are either a slave of Christ or a slave of sin, but we're a slave nonetheless. It doesn't change. And being identified with Christ means I have a new disposition. And because I've been resurrected with Christ, I've been freed from the power and the slavery of sin. And what stood out for me in these verses is the past tense nature of them. Crucified, past tense. Died, past tense. Set free, past tense. That have been set free as past tense and ongoing. Now when I first got married, it took me a while for the reality of marriage to set in. This idea of sharing the remote control was really foreign to me. I, I never have understood um, dressers because I can have one basket of dirty and one basket of clean. So what do I need to, what do I need to put them away for? When one's empty it's, or one's full, it's time to do the laundry again. So marriage for me exposed, you know, my, my selfishness. Um, and it's like you wake up one day and it's like, no, this, I have to share life with somebody. I have to learn what it means to be one instead of just taking care of me. And the reality of the resurrection and what it means in your life will take a lifetime to be able to fully comprehend and even then we've just scratched the surface of it. But the basic truths are that you're dead to sin and alive to Christ. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, you too may live in newness of life. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out who has known the mind of the Lord. Now unsearchable does not mean unknowable. And sometimes if I'm spiritually stagnant, if I'm not growing in sanctification, I need to ask myself some question, ask myself one primary question, how well do I know him? How well do I know him? What are the lies that I've bought into that are keeping me, that are keeping you from being all that we're created to be? So some things to consider as you evaluate this. Number one, understand imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness is a big fancy term, but when I understand that my sin has separated me from a holy God and I stand before him worthy of judgment and condemnation, Because justice demands payment for sin, imputed righteousness means that Christ paid for it. Christ's righteousness is poured into me. It's poured into you. It's not what we deserve. It's by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. And because of his sinless life and his righteousness that is imputed to you and I, We are declared right. We are declared whole. We have peace with God, Romans 5. I'm declared righteous. So understand imputed righteousness. Number two, understand my standing with God is not based on how I feel. My feelings will tell me there's no covering. There's no escape. There's no relief from my shame. But God doesn't ask me what I feel. He asks me what is true. We live in a society that's attempting to have feelings trump truth. It doesn't work that way. My feelings do not dictate truth. Jesus is the truth. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Now, when I'm done with this message, I'm going to sit down. Why? Because it signifies that it's done. And here's the priestly king interceding for us who sits down. And that's the way of saying it is finished. It is paid for. If I took care of your sin and I took care of your shame, why are you still living in it? So understand that my relationship with God is not just solely based on how I feel. Number three, God pardons my sin for his name's sake. Now dead people, whether physically or spiritually, don't do a very good job of praising God. King David says this in the Psalms. He pardons my sin so I can live in freedom and impact others to share what he's done in my life, so who can get the glory? So he can get the glory. Shame will keep my story from being told, and my narrative just becomes another dark place in the recesses of my mind that I don't want to go. He paid for your shame, he paid for my shame, so you can tell your story. Because in telling your story, you're telling his story. Number four, his word is a source of healing. His word is a source of healing. Psalm 107 20. He sent out his word and he healed them. Another verse you guys are probably all familiar with. But if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will heal. Humility in this context means that I live life God's way. He gives me choice, He gives me free will. But I choose to honor him with my life, my body, my words, and ultimately with my actions. And out of that lifestyle of obedience, blessings follow. I see that throughout the course of scripture. It's not rub a genie and hope something good happens. But in God's economy, blessings follow obedience. And finally, you can't outsin God's mercy. His mercy is more than enough to be able to forgive you And set you free regardless of what you've done. Regardless of where you've been. Regardless of what's been done to you. Because when Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. He was able to speak into your heart and to my heart. And gently say, stop resuscitating your past. I paid for it. I paid for it. When you spend enough time around somebody, you begin to take on their Mannerisms, their attitudes, their ethic, their examples. Spend enough time around Jesus Christ and you can't help but come away changed. And that changed life is the ultimate reality of the resurrection that we get to live out on a daily basis. God changes people through Jesus Christ from the inside out. I'm so grateful that I'm not the man that I used to be because God patiently just kept chipping and chipping and chipping. And my prayer for you as I close this morning is that you live out the reality of the resurrection each and every day of your life. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for Jesus, for the finished work of the cross, that enables us to live and walk in newness of life. And Father, may our lives fully demonstrate your work in and through us. May sin not be a barrier that keeps us from growing, keeps us from becoming more and more like you. And God, by your spirit, would you just continue to do your work in our lives? God, through that same spirit, would you comfort us? Would the truth of your goodness resonate even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of tragedy? We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.
2: This last song that we're going to sing, uh, Darren did go through with some of the words in his message. titled I Got Saved. It may be new to some of you guys. Uh, We're going to go ahead and sing a couple verses in the chorus. If you guys just want to meditate on it and think about the words, that's fine. If you know the song and you feel led by the Spirit, sing along too. That's fine. So we're going to sing it and yeah, we'll see how it goes. Please stand as you're able and join us. I, I got saved, oh I got, got saved. saved, I'm not done by the Oh, I God got saved. saved. I'm on
0: things before we dismiss you. Just to continue to pray. I want to say a special thanks to Pastor Tony and Aaron as I've been gone all week. We appreciate you taking the extra load since I've been gone. Continue to pray for me as I have different meetings this week on behalf of our county and a bunch of stuff. I have two funerals this week and just yeah, the Lord is good as we care for our law enforcement and I know we may have law enforcement here this morning. And also next service. So let me just say this. If you haven't gotten the email, we're doing a second service. Just because we knew there's law enforcement from around the, the country. A lot of them came last night for a meal. They might be here. We've had uh, I've had texts that people will be coming from the area here. So we will have just our second service at 1045. So you have the option to go back to... Your normal adult discipleship groups, and you can do that. Or if you want to, because it may—some of you may not know—made it. Did not know that we were going to have a second service. If you want to come here, if we only have like 20 people, or if you want to join and be for the second service, so they don't feel like, wow, no, these, we're just the visitors. There's no one here. So maybe you want to be here for that service. That might be helpful. You can kind of watch if there's new people here. That'd be awesome. So this is only for this week. We will continue back to our unique situation where we're doing our combined service together for a season. Uh, starting next week. So we'll have our normal kind of season thing that we're doing right now for 9 o'clock next week and then adult discipleship groups. Awesome. Let's pray. God, you are good. And your grace is more and we are saved by the blood of the Lamb and the beauty of justification that is there. Help us in our sanctification. Help us as we walk with you more. We are completely changed by the gospel, but that change must be evident in our lives. So let it flow forth as we love and care for one another. We love you, Jesus, and love each other. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being with us.